Okay, so I had a dream that I was speaking a message at this church to you, to all of you. All of you were in my dream, every one of you. Even if you're new, you were there. It was prophetic. And, and I was dreaming, and I had a message that I went a little long on, nine minutes specifically long. Somehow dreams have those weird details in them. I went nine minutes long, and it made many of you upset. You were very upset about the nine minutes, and uh, you left the church, and I remember who you were. I saw your faces. So I don't know what this message means. Some of you are thinking, man, you're messed up, man. This is your dreams, like, and you're trying to interpret them. And I'm like, yes, I am messed up, and so are you. So we're all in this together, but I'm trying to interpret this dream. I may go short today, or I may go long. And that'll be the answer to my dream if we need to weed some of you out. Um, sorry. <laughs> all right, let's begin by reading Ephesians 1. Uh, Chapter, or chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. I'm just going to read the whole passage that we're looking at today, and then we'll talk about it, okay? All right, here we go. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. This is really encouraging, by the way. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given those he's called, his holy people who are rich in his glorious inheritance. I pray, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and, he has, and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. All right, to talk about what we just read, uh, I need to back up, and better, perhaps a better way to say it is I need to zoom out. We need to get some altitude. Uh, I talk about altitude a lot. We need to get above the scripture and kind of see what's going on around it, before it, all that sort of stuff. You know, whenever, if you've been on a plane, most, a lot of you have, you've been on a plane and you're going into a city, you're about to land, or maybe you're departing, and you look out as you are over the city. You know what I'm talking about? And you look down, what do you see? You see, you see the city and it's, everything's really small, right? It gives you a whole new perspective. I actually flew over my house not that long ago and I looked down, I could see my house. Has anybody ever been able to do that before? And, and I'm looking at that, I'm going, I live in that shoebox, right? Like it's so tiny, we are so, so small. And it it keep, a couple good things about that. One, it keeps us humble. Two, two, it reminds us of how big God is, how huge he is, that he's above all this. But, but whenever you get above something, you get a whole new perspective, don't you? You get to see the landscape around it. And scripture sort of has the same effect. When you get above it and you ask more sweeping questions, or when you consider the story behind the story, or you consider what happened before it or after it, or you consider all these things. With this letter, the more you know about Paul, the more you know about the city of Ephesus, uh, it gives you greater understanding and different 
perspective. And some of you know this because I talk about it occasionally, but you can read the Bible from different heights. You can read it from up, up close, you know what I mean, where you're dissecting it, you know, sort of like you're in 10th grade biology class with a frog on your desk and you're going to dissect this thing, right? You can dissect it and you can dissect a word at a time even. Or sometimes you can zoom out and you can have sort of a 10,000 foot view of it. And both ways are good. Uh, so today we're going to sort of get above it. And I told you last week that the first three chapters, the first three chapters of Ephesians are more about doctrine and what to think about God and what to think about Jesus. These, Ephes these Ephesians were really wanting to learn about what it means to follow Christ. And getting above it reminds us that as a church, this is a very new church. This is a new church. They've not been doing this very long. These people that are leading the church are very new at it. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't have years of experience at some other church that prepared them for this church and to lead it, you know what I mean, like we have in our systems today. They didn't have any of that. These people are trying to figure out what to do, and it's very much at the beginning of this. These are a bunch of pioneers, like, it's kind of like the, you know, the United States in the, in the 1800s, there's these pioneers like plowing new ground, planting brand new seeds of all sorts of things. This is what's happening in this story. These are pioneers doing something that's never been done before. They're planting and establishing the church of Jesus Christ, and they're brand new at it. And here's this letter. They're still figuring it out, and it shows up ex exactly in the time they needed it and it's what they needed. And these first chapters, which I think is so interesting when you get above it, is Paul doesn't actually tell the Ephesians. He doesn't tell them to do anything. He didn't tell them one thing to do in the first three chapters. He just keeps declaring who they are. Over and over again, he's declaring who you are, who you are, who is Jesus, who is God, I want to thank you. I want to pray for you. He just keeps going on and on. And this really is sort of a theological stake in the ground. Now, when I say theological, theo means God. Ology means understanding and understanding of God. Theology is not supposed to be an intimidating word. It's simply an understanding of God. And his, whenever Paul is talking about our identity, his theology of our identity, his understanding of God in relationship to our identity is first and foremost about who we are and not what we do. And this is actually, this is actually pretty huge. huge. This is not the way we live, is it? We live with so much emphasis on what we do. The other day I was having lunch. I met a stranger. I mean, I was having a conversation. I introduced to a stranger. First time we're talking ever, and he's, we're talking, chatting. And within 60 seconds, what question is asked? What do you do? Right? You go to a party and you're meeting someone new and you're like, hey, hey, hey. And within a few minutes, what's the question comes up? What do you do, right? And, and we have this question and he's coming up, coming up and you're in this party and you're like, well, this is what I do. What do you do? Well, this is what I do. You do that. I do this and that. You do that? Well, I know someone that does that. I should, meet, I should introduce you to them because they do the same thing as you do, right? That's the conversations we have, right? We just, we just keep re kind of revolving around this doing in our life and we do this. And we ask these doing questions because we actually, in our culture, value what we do first and a little bit of who you are second. But Paul is just saying, no, no, no. The theological stake in the ground, it is about who you are, especially who you are in Christ. That's first. Later on, I'll talk about some doing things. This is what Paul does. 
So for three chapters, he goes on and on about who we are in Christ. Now, remember last week, I, I just want to give a quick reminder. We, we talked about verses 3 through 14, in which Paul just goes on this rant about how we've been blessed. You remember this? If you weren't with us, it's this amazing passage. And we got to remember this about Scripture, too. Even though Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians, we believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul to give him these words, to, to, to be able to deliver them to his people. And so in essence, the way we understand scripture is this is God speaking to us. And so this letter isn't just a letter from Paul to the Ephesians. This is a letter from God to, to us. And this is how we read this. And so you gotta, I wanna show you this slide from last week. And these are some of the things he said that we've been blessed with, right? He says that I love you. I've blessed, you've been, I think the, what Paul says is you've been richly blessed in so many ways that God loves you and he chose you. Even before the creation of the world, he loved you and he chose you. He said, I've adopted you as one of my own. I am your heavenly father. You are one of my children. You will receive all of my glorious inheritance because of that. You will receive everything I have. Everything I have is yours. God tells us that he's blessed us through Jesus who's purchased us, who's purchased our freedom and he's forgiven us. These are the ways he's blessed us. He says, I will shower you with kindness. I will pour out my grace over you. I have a plan for you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm sending my spirit to be with you and to go with you. So this is what he's saying in the first uh, thir- th- verses 3 through 14. And then in verse 15 and 16, Paul says something incredible. And this kind of gets us in today. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Can I just, let me just read that again. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. It says in Proverbs that, the word, that words have the power of life and death in them which should stop us in our tracks and to cause us to consider what are the words we are using every day. As a parent, you have these moments in which you just don't talk uh, and use your words to do things like, as a parent, you find yourself in a lot of conversations, by the way, that you're really correcting a lot. I don't know if you're with me, parents, and you're really, whenever they're younger and in those, where we're at in our stage of life, you're, you're always telling them what they need to be doing you know, we need you to clean your room. We need you to do these chores. We need you to do all these things, right? We, so we're always telling them the things they need to be doing. We need to be correcting them. We need to be, we need to be telling them about how they can get... I mean, there's this, all those conversations, and every once in a while as a parent, you have to have these moments where you're like, I need to talk to them about life. <laughs> I need to talk to them about life and about who they are. And I need to encourage that. And, and sometimes, sometimes it, it, gets, it gets difficult because even when it comes to life, life is challenging, and you have to talk about all sorts of things that life comes with, the bad things too, right? You gotta, you gotta talk about Las Vegas and what happened a few weeks ago. You gotta, talk about, you gotta talk about the other challenging things in life. This is a parent's role, right? You have to talk about, um, you know, why Trump says what he says. And you gotta talk about why football players are kneeling. You got all these weird things that go on in the world and you, they're like, you gotta give them some sort of understanding and framework of it. And, and then you also have to speak into them life about who they are, that they can see that you are thankful for them and who God's created them to be, and that you are constantly praying for them. This is the role of the parent, isn't it? And it's interesting that Paul, who says that we have been adopted to our heavenly father and our heavenly father, that there's this, there's this relationship, of course, between God as, his, as father 
and us as his children, and yet he's sitting here and he's thanking us and he's praying for us constantly. And I think often, I'm realizing as a parent I need to grow as a parent who speaks life. Any parent with me on that, right? Who engages in more conversations about life rather than just correction and chores. And I need to grow as a parent who tells my kids how grateful I am for them and how I need to grow as a parent who prays for them constantly. Because our kids need to know that we believe in them. And it's not just our kids, like all kids need this, right? All kids need this. And, I'm, and I was just so blown away this last week. I was, it was on Sunday morning, it was after church, and someone came to me and said, do you know that we have four new, fam- four new families or couples that have decided to be foster parents in our church? And I was like, actually, I think I did know that, yeah. And they were like, isn't that amazing? And I said, yes, it is amazing. It's amazing. You know, Jason and April T, you're sitting up there right now, they, just two weeks ago, they took in a three-day-old child to foster. Three days. Talk about turning your life on a dime, right? Like everything changed. And like I said, words are powerful. Let me read this word. I'm going to read it to you, Jason and April. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. Shouldn't those be the words that we are saying to one another? Shouldn't we look at one another's faithfulness and one another's goodness and the things that God is doing in us and the person we're becoming and say, I have not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly. And we could read that to so many people in here and mean it. I mean, we should be saying that to one another. I want to say that to those of you who are consistently serving. I think about the people who are here multiple times a month, multiple Sundays a month, and they're getting here early to serve in kids or to, or to make coffee or to prepare to lead us in worship or to be on our prayer team, whatever. And I, I want to say, I thank God for you and I pray for you constantly. And I look and I hear stories about several of our groups right now, our groups that are meeting and they're experiencing such rich community. I know in my group personally that I'm part of, there's such a spirit of wanting to pray for one another, wanting to be there for one another. And just this week I heard about a story in which there were two people who, were, who did something exceedingly generous for someone else in our church. Just out of their own heart, they said, I feel like I'm supposed to do this, and they were exceedingly generous to someone else with the hope that God would use that generosity to do something powerful in that person's life, and I believe it'll happen. And I hear stories like this, and I'm just, I'm, I'm saying, why don't we encourage that more? This is what Paul's doing. Paul is saying, I see all the faithfulness that you have in the Lord, and I just can't quit thanking God for you, and I can't quit praying for you, because this is, this is he's so overwhelmed with how good God has been in us and through us, and he's changing us and transforming us, and he's praising God because of it. In fact, so many of you are generous and faithful to the Lord. And specifically in finances, which we don't talk a ton about here, but we need to. God is using so many people and their faithfulness and giving in this church to allow our church to do great ministry. It's, it's really incredible. Uh, so many of you are faithful to the tithe, and that's that's something that nobody really sees but the Lord, right? We've never experienced a season of financial stress in our church. Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how crazy that is? That we've never had a time when we're like, man, we are really hurting. That's amazing. 
And that is only because there are people in this church that believe, hey, the Lord teaches us in his word, and I'm going to go do it. I'm going to live it. This is who I'm going to be. Teaches us about tithing or first fruits or whatever, whatever key words that have God has put in your heart and placed in you. You think often there's the prevailing notion in life that only God deserves thanks. And it certainly does. Um, and there's a lot of truth in that. However, what that turns into is that we're not really giving credit or thanking one another. And, and uh, I believe God prompts and instructs us to do faithful and obedient things. And we as people are the ones who choose to do things like foster care or serve or give or, or, or be on a you know, serve team or to serve someone in need or whatever it is. So thank you for allowing God to use you. That should be said, right? Shouldn't we say, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Later in this letter, just in case you're thinking, oh, this is just a really feel-good message and all that kind of stuff. Later in this letter, letter, Paul gets on to them about things they need to quit doing. He starts talking about the sins that's in their life and the things that he needs to. But he starts where? He starts with the things that they are doing and the person that they are in Christ. He'll talk about the things they need to rid themselves of later, but first he's telling them. And like I said, this is a theological stake in the ground about who we are in Christ. And I'm, I'm dwelling on this because I feel like so many of us feel unappreciated in life. So many people feel undervalued. People feel, they don't feel like they're noticed. A lot of us wonder why that person seems to get noticed by everyone and is loved by everyone, but nobody seems to really notice us. It's funny how many people feel that way. We can become hurt by the lack of sometimes just acknowledgement, sometimes thanks we get in life. Have you ever had the time in your life um, when you're trying to think of everything and just do everything just right for other people? And some of you have never had this situation, but you can imagine the situation because you've at least been in this. Maybe, maybe you're imagining, or maybe you're going to have a time. Maybe you've done this. Maybe this is a real story. You've had a time when you're going to have a lot of people over to your house. Maybe it's your family, and you want, the, you want it to be perfect, right? You want to do everything right. You, you spend three or four days getting your house ready. And you know what I'm talking about? You're like cleaning the yard. You're like dusting things you haven't dusted in two or three years. You're like, you're like fluffing the pillows. You're getting flowers. You're buying new candles. You're, it's going to be an epic moment for the family, right? And you're like, okay, everybody show up at six. And, and they're like, can we bring anything? You're like, yeah, well, yeah, if you want to. And what do they bring? They bring paper goods and two liter Cokes, right? And you've done all the cooking and all the everything else, right? And you've done it all. And then they show up and you said six, but what time do they show up? They show up at 6.30, 6.40, you know what I mean? They're just getting there when they get there. And you're like, gosh, you know, put all this effort into it. They get there and it's a good night. You enjoy the night. It's fun. You have a good time. And then, and then they leave and nobody says thanks. And what are you left doing? the dishes and the cleaning up, right? And you sit there, what is the point of this? Like, I'm doing all this and nobody even says thanks. And I think this, that sort of scenario is like so true. Anybody relate with this, by the way? You with me? It's, it's so true in life. And we're all sitting here going, and what's the deal? Why, why am I always the one that seems to be hold, left holding the bag? Well, everybody else took their piece right out the middle right? We all need to hear, thank you. We all need to hear you're doing well. Even if we aren't doing that well, but we know there's, we need to look at the things that, we, that are going well in our life and they need to be affirmed. 
Because I can talk myself into a self-loathing sort of despair about how I'm not appreciated. Or, and all of us have done it. That's probably what I like to hang out with people with the spiritual gift of encouragement. You know what I'm talking about? They just make you feel really good about yourself. They're like, oh, you're awesome. I'm like, thank you. So I know who you are. So let the scripture encourage you. Because that's what it is. God sees the faithfulness and the obedience you've had. And in the church world and in life, we often focus on our shortcomings. But God wants to remind you that there's a lot that's going really well. And there's a lot of really good things that God's doing in you. A lot of us have heard the theology, you know, of God's ever-present, all-knowing, you know, the omnipresence, omni. Uh, omniscience of God. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. We all we, we've maybe heard that. And that's been used to sort of beat us over the head about God is like always watching us. And like he always sees our mistakes. And it sort of reminds me, has anybody read the book 1984? 1984 people? Come on. Seriously, I know you read it in like 11th grade. Some of you didn't. You were deprived. 1984 is like a great book. Freaky, but great. And if you know the, the, whole, the whole statement, the whole saying, Big Brother is watching you, this is where it's from. The whole show, Big Brother is watching you, it's from this book because there is this government that was always watching them with cameras everywhere. And sometimes we see God as the same thing. Like God is always watching us like he's the eye in the sky and he always sees us. And there's this theology that's been built into us that God's presence is always with you. So you can't hide anything from God. Good, I can't hide anything from God, even, so there's, a, there's an accountability to that, certainly, but he also sees all the good things that no one else sees. I don't think we ever talk about that. He also sees all the things that you're doing in secret and all the ways that you're serving people that nobody else sees. I want you to know that what you're doing when nobody else sees it, when it's the good things that you think nobody appreciates, God sees it and he thanks you for it and he appreciates it and he knows what you're up to. Paul is encouraging us God sees the diligence that you've shown in your tithe or the commitment you've made to serve others. He knows that you've been praying for that person you love that's lost and you just keep praying for them. He sees it and he wants you to know. He wants you to continue to do it. Paul is encouraging us. And then he says this, I pray for you constantly. Let's go back and read this, starting at the end of verse 16. I pray for you constantly. And what does he pray for? He's asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he's called, that he's called his holy people who are rich in his glorious inheritance. He keeps bringing that up, which is awesome. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. So I want you to notice something. He prays for three things in this, all right? He prays, and I'll, I'll just put them on the screen here. He prays for these three things. He prays, he prays for spiritual wisdom so that you can know God better. So he wants to pray that for everybody. Then he also prays for understanding of the hope that he has given us. And then he prays for us to experience the incredible greatness of his power. I think the tendency in church, by the way, is to take these three things that he's prayed for and to make that the three-point sermon. You know what I'm saying? And so what you would usually get is something like this, point one. And point one, you need to know God. Statistics these days, they show us that nobody knows God or the 
Nobody knows anything about God or the Bible. Therefore, your culture is going to hell in a handbasket, and you are too. You know what I mean? Point number two, God is the God of hope. People out there put their hope in the wrong things. So let's talk, talk about you. You're putting the hope in the wrong things. You're putting your hope in sex, money, and rock and roll, right? Point number three, God's power is the only power you should be looking for. A lot of people are feeling drained these days. It's like their batteries are deficient, and they're looking for a power source. Let me just tell you, the only power source that can charge your batteries is Jesus. Altar call, amen, let's go to lunch. Come on, that was a good three-point sermon. Thank you. I don't usually speak with three points. I speak with a point. That's for your benefit and mine. I want to have something that we say, and, and there's nothing wrong with that message or those messages. And That's not what's happening in the scripture, though. So many times we take the word and we make it kind of fit into some other box. And that's not what Paul's doing this. We take the scripture that's intended to be encouraging to illuminate the failures in life. Hey, hey, God's, or he's praying for us to know God more. Therefore, we must talk about all the ways we are failing in knowing God. Or he's talking about the hope that we need to have. So therefore, we should talk about all the things that we're putting our hope in instead of Jesus. Oh, he's talking about the power that we can have in Jesus. Well, let's talk about all the other things and sources of power that we go to. Instead of just receiving what's actually said here, instead of changing and transforming the word to fit our message, let's let the message of the word be given to us. And what is it being said? He's saying, he's saying I thank God for you. I'm praying for you constantly. I pray that you'll know God more. I pray that you will experience the hope that only he can give through the power of Jesus. And guess what? That power is the only reason you can have hope because there's no other reason to have hope except because of Jesus. He's just praying for us and lifting us up and encouraging us. And this is what the heavenly father does because he is a father and we are his children. And he's not always just telling us about the things we need to do. He's not always telling us about the chores we need to get done. He's not always trying to correct us. Sometimes he's is looking at us saying, man, you're doing great. I'm going to pray even more for you. Man, it's good. We're supposed to receive it as it was given. And where was it given, by the way? Verse 16, we're going to go back to that. Again, where did I start? Altitude. We're getting above this, aren't we? Paul is simply encouraging and praying. In verse 16, he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you continually. We're back to that. So where's Paul doing this? Where is he encouraging and praying? If you zoomed out, he's thousands of miles to the west in a city called Rome. And he's in a prison, right? He's in prison. And, why, and what is he in a Roman prison for? What did he do? Did he, did he commit a violent crime? No. Did he steal something? Did he break into someone's house? No, no, no. He talked about Jesus. That's all he did. And eventually he would be killed for talking about Jesus. So if there's anyone that has a right to send a letter pleading his innocence and complaining about the ridiculousness of his circumstances, it would be Paul, right? Paul would have all the rights and reasons to say, to say I, I need you to send your bright, best and brightest Ephesians. I need you to send them to me and I need you to plead my case before the Roman government. This could be the letter he would write. It would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? He's in Roman prison. He's wrongfully accused of something silly. I mean, all those sorts of things. But here he is. What is he doing? Paul is on his knees praying in prison. 
for the church. That's what he's doing. And when I just, when I, when I get above it and I just think about what's really happening, I'm so moved by it. Paul, who has every right to, to feel to feel wronged in life. He thinks about all that God's doing and he's in prison and he says, man, I'm so thankful for the stories that I hear about the faithfulness of those people. Thank you, God. And he gets on his knees and he starts praying for them. He starts praying that they would know him even more, that they would experience and know and understand the glorious hope of Jesus, and that he's the only hope in the world, and that they would experience the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's praying this over these people, and he's saying, God, would you just give it to him? Would you just give it to him? I just want him to have it so bad. I just want him to have him so bad. And I'm just sitting there going, I just want to receive this. I just want to receive this. I don't want to start going, oh man, I've, I've failed in these areas and that area, and I want to make this we live in such a culture, in such a church culture of shame and guilt. Do you understand that? Listen, we are all guilty. Do you understand that? We are all guilty. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No question about we need to clean our lives up more. We need to enter into sanctification. But there is so much in the word that is not about us feeling guilty and shame. And it's more about lifting us up and using the word. The words bring power or the power of life and death, right? What is this bringing? Life. Life. And I feel like we need to receive it today as it was given. So if you're feeling undervalued, if you're wondering what you, if what you're doing is even worth it, if it matters, if you're, if you're wondering if you need to keep caring for that person that seems to not care about what you're doing for them, if you want to hear, if you want to hear that the Lord sees you, I want you to know that God sees you today. God sees you right what you're doing, right where you're at. And I want you to know that he cares about that thing that you care about that seems like no one else cares about. I want you to know that he cares about it. If God put it in your heart to care about it, he cares about it too. And God sees you. God's thankful for your faithfulness. God's thankful for your faithfulness to your spouse. God's thankful. And he wants to encourage you that when you read the word, when no one else is looking, he sees it and he's so pleased with you. God, God thankfully sees you when you're in, whenever you go and serve that person in need and you do it in secret and you do it in secret on purpose. God sees that. And he wants to say, well done. God sees the way you've been and you remain pure. And he wants you to know that there's a spouse waiting for you. He sees that. God sees your patience and your love for the people that are difficult to love. You have them. He sees your patience and love for them. Be encouraged today, church. We are not perfect by any stretch. We are far from it, but every once in a while, we need to know that the things that we try to do, the ways we try and be faithful, the ways we want to be obedient, the, way, the steps we do take, they matter and God sees them. So be encouraged. Words are powerful. So earlier in the message, I, I did I mentioned the, the parent thing, and, and I just can't get that out of my mind that, that we are so focused on the things we need to correct and we need to do in life. And Paul is starting this whole letter with about who we are and the ways that he's grateful for us and the ways that he's praying for us. And that's what our Heavenly Father is doing for us. 
Secondly, I do want to join in this prayer that we may know God more, that we may understand the confident hope that he gives those of us who are called, and that we may experience his incredible power. I want to join in that prayer. Anybody else okay with that prayer in your life? Yeah? Are you with me? Yeah. So let's receive this today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that as we take your word today and we just let it sit in our hearts, that, Lord, we would feel not only the power of life from your word, but that, Lord, we would maybe even come face to face with maybe some way that the enemy has worked against us, has discouraged us, the enemy has said we aren't good enough that the world has said we're not good enough that father whatever that whatever that that lie that has been told to us maybe the ways that we feel undervalued so many people feel undervalued in their work and so many people feel undervalued in their families lord i just pray that lord today you would speak into us in ways that would lift us up and encourage us With everybody's heads bowed, it's just a way of responding today. I really was hopeful and prayerful as I worked on this this week that there'd be people here today that would acknowledge that they needed to be encouraged like this because they've been in a place where they've felt a low sense of value, a low sense of even worth in life, and you needed to know that God sees you. Is there anybody in here that would just say, I needed that today? If you would, just lift your hand. Yeah. God sees you, friends. He's for you. He's not against you. Father, I pray that, Lord, we would sense and feel the, the encouragement and the value you have for each one of your children. That, Father, we are precious to you. That you love us. That you constantly are thankful for us that even in this word, we'll take it, we'll receive it, that you pray for us. I want to also give you the opportunity to just pray this prayer that Paul gave us, that we may know God more and understand his hope and experience his power. I just thought it'd be appropriate to just kind of set it up and then let you talk to God for just a few seconds on each one of these to just receive this prayer, but, but pray it in agreement that God would give you this in life. So this first one, that we may know God more. The scripture says that our eyes of our heart would even be enlightened to this, that we would see and understand God more. And so maybe just for a few seconds, maybe on your own, start praying that you would know God more, that you would gain in spiritual wisdom Go ahead and pray that. God, we thank you for how you give us more understanding and more knowledge and more wisdom. And we just pray we would receive it and we would grow, as your word says, to know you more. Now I want you to pray just that you would understand the confident hope that he can give you. That even if you already feel hopeful, that it can even be more. Even if you know he's the only hope, 
that you would even understand that more. Would you just pray that right now? Father, may we understand how all of our hope is not only placed in you, but Father, it can even grow in abundance and that our eyes of our heart can understand it even great, greater. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us that. We thank you for the word that encourages us in that. And finally, that we may experience his incredible power Paul goes on a rant on this whole one and he starts praying about the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he, that we can experience that power, the power to bring life out of death. Would you just pray that his power would be made known to you, that you would walk in his power more, that you would trust in his power more, that you'd rely not on your own power and strength, but on his. Just pray that today. Father, we receive it today. We receive this good message, this good word. Lord, we pray that we, we walk out encouraged, almost bursting at the seams. That, Father, you love us, you chose us, you've blessed us, you've poured out your kindness on us, that, Lord, you've done all those things. And then, Lord, on top of that, we receive Paul's letter to the Ephesians as your letter to us, that Lord, you are thankful for us and that you are praying for us. Like all those things, God, we know we aren't perfect. We, we, we need you more than anything in this life. We need you. Thank you, Father, for loving us like you do. We just pray now that as we spend some time worshiping you, that God, our hearts, would reflect a desire to love you more, to understand your hope more, and to experience your power more. We pray all these things in your name.